you know, for me personally, some of it was very convicting because I have so far to go to be like Christ, but that's okay. Conviction is good because it allows me to see where I need to go. Where I am and where I need to go is important, right? So I see where I need to go and I, and I pray and ask God for help that I might achieve that goal of reaching where I need to be. But the four characteristics of, of a godly father is a godly father loves God, number one. Number two, a godly father loves his wife. Number three, a godly father loves his children. And number four, a godly father prays. Prays nonstop. So let's, let's pause with the, with the opening prayer. Uh, I'm going to be reading, starting from Matthew 22, if you want to turn there. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. And uh, go ahead and open with, with prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I, I pray that your word would be a blessing uh, to all that are here today, fathers, mothers, sons and daughters, all, all alike, because we all have a future in you, Lord. Show us that future and let us achieve what it is you have for us. By your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So beginning with Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Uh, a godly father loves God. He makes God a priority. And Matthew 22, 37 reads, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, <clears throat> with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And Jesus said, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. When I read that scripture, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It really made me reflect as to what is it the Holy Spirit is speaking of here in these verses. What is it that Jesus is saying? You know, the first and greatest commandment is to love God. Really, really caused me to reflect and meditate and dig into this word. So I started to think to myself and I, and I asked, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? You know, he talks about three things, the heart, the soul, and the mind. And really, they're all tied to the mind, but one is separate, that's the soul. The soul is something that goes on after death, it is eternal. That's separate. The mind and the heart are really one. But we're going we're gonna to look into this some more. Love God with all your heart. The word heart is defined in Strong's Concordance as the center and seat of spiritual life, the innermost being of a person. To love God with, one's, with all one's heart implies that God is more important than any possession profession, or person. It is loving God like this that all the other relationships you have are in proper perspective or proper order. It's not till I begin to love God with all my heart that all other relationships go into the proper order as God has relationships to be instituted. A godly father loves God first, family second, others third. A godly father will even place 
his love for God and love for family above all else, because that's what God has called fathers to do. Jesus demonstrated his love, right, by going, or actually Jesus' demonstration of love was a demonstration of the Father's love for us, that he would send his son, that he would die for us. And a godly father has to love God more, more than anything else, more than possessions. What does that mean? A godly father loves God more than, and, and believe me, when I was young, I was into cars. If you talk to my wife, by the time we were married two or three years, I probably had 30 or 40 cars within the two or three years that we were married together. And it was just one car after another. And what I would take being a mechanic, okay, and, and this was a passion. What happened to me then is those cars became my idol. And I, not, I cannot allow an idol to overcome my love for God nor distract me from the things of God. But I would get these cars, and I, it was my first car was a 1964 Impala. second car was a 1967 Ford Mustang. And I would take these cars, buy them at a discount because... They thought they were severely broken down, and I knew what they needed to be fixed. I said, I'll give you bottom dollar. This is what I'll give you for it. i got to work on it. And, and I'd fix it up, drive it, get tired of it, sell it for, for a tremendous profit. <laughs> right. And then I would sell it for a profit and then go looking for my next car, right? But this, and, and my, my mom used to be like, all those cars, what are you doing? And my, daughter, my, my sister-in-law would say, well, thank God he's spending his money on cars and not on alcohol or drugs. You know? <laughs> she, she had a point. But still, we have to be careful that we don't allow possessions to overcome our love for God. And that's so easy to do. I had one sister in Spokane who used to say, when I go to heaven, I just hope I can take my furniture with me. I'm thinking like, <laughs> furniture, streets of gold, you know, a mansion that Jesus has for you. What's the fur what furniture? Okay, I see where your heart is. Uh, possessions. The love of God must be higher than everything, including possessions. Profession. When I was in the Air Force, I got so caught up with making rank, right? I went all the way up to E7 with the Master Sergeant. I, I think uh, my friend Jack over there made it to E7 too. We worked hard to get there. We work hard. Rank doesn't come by, um, or promotion doesn't come by chance. You work to get, get it. You, know, you have to work at it. But the danger here is that when you work at a profession so hard and so much that you neglect one's family, you ne neglect time with God, then it becomes also a, an idol. Work can become an idol. A profession can become an idol. Yet God is saying, look, I need to be loved more by your heart. And he's speaking to my heart, not to yours. But he's saying, I need to be loved more than your cars, more than your rank of making master or any rank above that. I need to be more important than that. And I agree. God has got my heart. And, and I can look back in my past where things were more important to me than, than God. I was out of order. But now I'm in order, thank God. He got a hold of me and said, Mom, I'll put you in order if you don't put yourself in order. <laughs> and I would much rather put myself in order than allow God to do it because he, what is he, he spanks those he loves. I don't want a spanking from God. 
I'd much rather just correct myself. My father only spanked me one time in my lifetime, and I, my, my, my earthly father, and I believe it's that because I never gave him a reason to spank me so often. Because I knew, okay, he loves me, he will spank me, so let me correct myself so he doesn't have to. You know, that's just wisdom, right? But some of us are so rebellious and that we don't care. Uh, like, okay, I'll have my way. Uh, but God is more important than things, than jobs, than work, or people. We can also get uh, so enamored with some people that we lose focus of who is more important. We can make another person an idol. And God wants us to love other people, but not above our love for him. So a, fa a godly father loves God with all his heart. His heart, the innermost part of your being. You know, I've, I've often, I've, I've once remember reading where if you want to know where a man's heart is, look at his checkbook. And I can tell you in my early days, my checkbook would have reflected a 1964 Impella, 1967 Ford Mustang, 1958 Chevy pickup, uh, on and on and on and on. You won't believe how many, probably 20, 30 cars my first three years. Um, I started counting them. I couldn't believe I had that many. But yes, we must love God with all our heart. Now, can I still enjoy, and to me, it's a skill and a gift that God gave me, mechanical ability to be able to fix it. Can I enjoy a car and still love God? Can I enjoy that hobby? Yes, but keep things in perspective. Love God first, and then enjoy your time and the giftings that God has given you. If he's gifted me to be a mechanic, why can I enjoy that ability? I can, but don't allow that to become your God. Likewise with possessions or with people. Then we go on to the next thing, which is love God with all your soul. Per Strong's concordance, the seat of feelings, desires, affections, aversions, our heart, soul. This would be to love God with all our emotions, the soul. Our emotions reflect the love of God, God towards us and our love toward him. We love God because he loved us first. The soul is an essence which differs from the body and is not dissolved by death, distinguished from other parts of the body. This, was, this is Per Strong's concordance. Uh, the definition is based on uh, Greek writing because we know that the early New Testament was written in Greek. So we have to understand Greek in order to understand the Bible in our language. The soul is the life force which continues eternally after this life into the next. A godly father is thankful for the mercy, grace, and forgiveness our heavenly father has provided for us. A godly father is thankful for what God has done for us and for our families. First, I love God with my heart. Then I love God with my soul. What is that soul? Why do I love God? I, I reflect on this. Why do I love God with my soul? That eternal part of me that goes on into eternity because I am thankful that it will spend eternity where it belongs in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. So a godly father loves from the soul because his soul is destined for eternity with 
Him, our Heavenly Father. So I love God with all my soul based on the fact that where I, I know where it's going. I believe this is why Christians die with peace because their soul is celebrating. I, I have heard that Christians, as, as they get closer to heaven, as their life is ending, the veil begins to open up and they begin to see things and they begin to see people and they begin to see angels. And Because the word of God tells us that angels even come down and take us to heaven. They usher us there. The soul continues on. The soul is, is, is that part of the life force within us that continues after we die. And so a godly father, he loves God with his soul because he, our heavenly father, has redeemed the soul. It is not going where it was going originally. We all had one destination that is the same, right? We were all going to one location, and it was not nice. It was not good. But God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son and, and predestined destined our souls to be with him. Love God with all your mind. The mind is a faculty of understanding, feeling, desiring thoughts, either good or bad. I've often heard that the war is in the mind. As Paul says, we must put on the mind of Christ, which is to know his teachings, to know the word of God. A godly father makes reading the word of God a priority. Thoughts. The war, the battle is in the mind, and that's where Satan will attack. Satan attacked Jesus you know, when he was tempted in the desert. He attacked him. And how did Jesus defend himself against Satan? By repeating to him what the word of God says. For the word of God has all power, all authority, all ability. And Satan would throw that in Satan. Jesus would throw that in Satan's face. When Satan brings a negative thought, remind him you are a child of God and that the Holy Spirit resides in you. With all that to say, a godly father knows his position in God. If the Holy Spirit dwells in a godly father, then the Holy Spirit gives that father the ability to have authority over him who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Satan doesn't want us to know that. What, why? Because it takes authority away from him, power away from him, and puts it within us because his Holy Spirit resides in us. And yes, I believe as Pastor Joe does, a Christian cannot be possessed because an evil spirit cannot reside in in the same place as the Holy Spirit. Cannot. It's an impossibility. So Christians cannot be possessed. And sometimes we need to remind Satan, especially when he puts negative thoughts, and us, all of us, especially fathers, if he puts negative thoughts in fathers, you're lacking. Well, I am a son of God, and God is raising me up, and God is teaching me. So depart from me. 
And he has no choice but to depart. Why? Because you have authority in the Holy Spirit. So a godly father knows his position in God. And then we go on to read, so we know that a father is to love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. So that is one's relationship towards God. In other words, God is a priority. God is everything. God is more important than anything, everything, or anyone. And then Jesus goes on to say, and the second is like it, the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This means that just as we are concerned about ourselves, have our own interests at heart, we should have the same attitude towards others. Loving God and loving others are the greatest commandments in the Bible. And Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does that mean? All the law and all the prophets. Love is centered to everything that is godly. Everything that the prophets teach and the word of God teaches connects back to God, which is love. So everything hangs on love. Without love, you cannot accomplish what the word of God tells us to accomplish. So a godly father understands unconditional love. I must love unconditionally. You must love as the Father and as Jesus loves. Now we go on to the second characteristic, which a godly father loves his wife. And I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 5, verse 25. And it reads, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, I think Pastor Joe might be able to relate, or, uh, you know, Pastor Nelly, when, when a minister begins to prepare and is working in the Word of God, God will test them in those things in which God is showing. So God tested me all this week on all these things that I'm learning about, or what he's showing me. He'll test. So whatever it is a minister goes into, God begins to deal with that minister about those things. Even Elder Steve, I believe, has shared that he experiences. Anybody who teaches the word of God will experience this. God will begin uh, to mold and develop to nurture that heart to be more like Christ. He wants what we're reading to bear fruit. But Ephesians 5.25 reads, Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Um, fathers, that's, that's a high calling, right? That's a high calling. We're to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. Think about that. How did Jesus love the church? He loved the church unconditionally and sacrificially. What does it mean to love your wife unconditionally? We know what unconditional love is. In other words, uh, we love in spite of mistakes or, or, or anything that happens in the relationship. We love in spite of. What does it mean to love sacrificially? Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us on the cross. How do we love a, life, a, a wife sacrificially? We must always put the needs of our wife before our own needs. That's a high calling. And... The Lord, has said, the Lord has said, the Holy Spirit has said, 
This is what we're called to do. Reflect the love of Christ towards our wives. Why is this important? That we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. A son will learn how he should treat his wife. A son will learn what true love is. Not this love that they show in Hollywood. Not this love that you read in novels. But true agape, unconditional love. A son will learn that. And will have had an example of that. And when a son marries, that son knows how to love his wife as Christ loved the church. More importantly, a daughter will see the example and go, Oh, I know what to look for. I know what love really is. I will not be fooled. Unconditional love cannot be faked. You can't, you can't just pretend because flesh will show its nasty self. And a wife will say, I will marry someone who loves me as my father loves me, or as my father has loved his wife as an example to me of what love really is. It's a high calling. I do, we, we are not perfect brothers. Let, let me just say that. Every day is a struggle to be more and more like Christ, but Christ and the Holy Spirit will help us to get there. Be patient. Um, and the wives will appreciate your patience. Then they'll see your sincerity. When you begin to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So a godly father loves his wife as Christ loves the church. That's a high calling. That is, uh, that is, we must be Christ. We must love unconditionally and we must love sacrificially. Now, he goes on to say, he gave himself for her. Jesus' love for the church was sacrificial. And so we must always sacrifice. A, God, a godly father's love toward his wife is always Christ-like. And we go on to the third characteristic. A godly father loves his children. So we've learned so far, we've seen from this God, you know, the scriptures, the word of God, that a godly father loves God, first and foremost, God is a priority, and loves his wife as Christ loves uh, the church. And now we're going to see that a godly father loves his children. Uh, God loved us so much that he demonstrated this love in his son, that his, he sacrificed his son on the cross, that we would all have eternal life with him change the direction of our life from where it was going to where it is going now. We have a future to be with God in heaven. Ephesians 6.4 reads, And you, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to wrath. A father should always attempt to not provoke a child to wrath which means to cause him to be angry. This can be done by an unkind word or overcritical attitude which torments the child rather than teach or train him. To provoke a child to wrath will give, him, will give the child reasoning for a rebellious uh, attitude or behavior which will not produce anything positive in the child. So a godly father disciplines and corrects in love and not anger. And this was something, you know, as I was growing up, I, I, I had a lot of anger and God had to deal with my anger. 
but you cannot discipline correctly any child with too much anger. Why? Because if you're, if you're going to correct your child, it should be done on unconditional love. I completely understand because I have seen rebellion in, in children. And I can now, having had uh, read the scriptures and, and sought God for what a godly father is, I know what that cause of rebellion is now. The cause of rebellion is love or discipline that was done in anger rather than love. And when we discipline as fathers in anger, it causes rebellion, but also causes a justification in the child that they have a right to rebel, right? So in order to um, not have our children go in the way of rebellion, we are to love our children with unconditional love. So a godly father disciplines and corrects, teaches and love, not anger. Don't provoke them to anger. It's better as fathers that if we have to correct, and, and God puts, puts the responsibility solely on the father to correct and to discipline. Not, not to say that a mother can't, but the primary responsibility falls on the father. Um, do not provoke your children to, to wrath, Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training, which is corrective discipline and admonition, which involves teaching. So training is discipline. Admonition is teaching. There must be a balance of discipline and encouragement to be effective. David Guzik says this is a responsibility for fathers. They must not neglect their responsibility to teach and to be a spiritual example for their children. It is not a responsibility that should be left to the mother or to Sunday school. Fathers, what does the word of God say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to, to wrath. Bringing them up in the training and admonition what the Holy Spirit is saying is the Father's responsibility to bring up, to train, to discipline, to teach children. What's most important about teaching children, um, if, I'm sure some of you might have heard, don't do as I do, do as I say. That doesn't work. Amen. Children will look to see what you do and is what you do lining up with what you're saying to them to do, they will respond in a negative way to um, conflicting information, to hypocrisy. They will respond in negative ways. And it is not the, the, the Sunday school's, the, the youth pastor's primary responsibility to train up and discipline your children. It is the father's responsibility. It's the father's responsibility. It's not the mother. The mother is a helper. The mother is supposed to come alongside the father and support the discipline, the correction. And if there's, there's, if, there's, um, if there's conflict there, then you need to sit down, pray, and ask God to help you resolve the conflict concerning discipline, correction, and teaching. But how you teach a child is not just with words, but with, with actions. And, and um, you know, when I, when I was at Fairchild Air Force Base in the chapel, every time we had a, 
Mother's Day message, it was glorious, it was wonderful, and the mothers got flowers, and, and the fathers all got together and made them a lunch, and the fathers, it's, the father's day would come up, and the church would beat up the father, send them on their way, and said, you're a failure. I'm not doing that. Fathers, you're a blessing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I didn't like it when I went through it in the military. Fathers are important. You're a blessing. God has given you the children that you have. We're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we are getting better and better as we learn more about Christ. And I'm, I'm not going to beat up fathers. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I'll pray for myself, which leads me to the next thing, right? Leads me to the next thing. A godly father prays. Why is this important? This is very important, especially for your children. Especially for your children, because you can do everything right. You can pray every night. You can teach by example, by your life to a child, to a son, to a daughter, what life as a Christian is. You can do everything right, everything. Now, we're not perfect, we may fault, but the 99.9% of the time you're doing everything right. And that child will go up and go, get to an age of accountability and begin to make his or her own decisions. They can rebel against God over something that happens in their life, a relationship, a boyfriend, friends in school, peer pressure. There are a lot of things that can lead a child to rebel against God, even though you've done everything as a father slash mother to raise up your child correctly. So that's why it's so urgent and so important that a godly father pray all the time. And pray for your children, because we don't know what they're going through, what difficulties they're going through, what challenges they're facing. The challenges that our children face today so, are so different than what we faced when I was growing up. You know what was terrible when I was growing up and get me kicked off of the I was in track and field. Get me kicked off of sports, track and field. Smoking. That was, ooh, that was a big deal when I was growing up. You know, if you, you smoke a cigarette, that was, a, that was like, that was a big deal. Or chewing tobacco, that was a big deal. And, you know, those of us that were in sports wouldn't do it because we didn't want to get kicked off. But those that were tempted and would smoke, ooh, I broke the law, I smoked. But what do our children face today? I remember when I was in, in England um, in two, 2004 to 2007, my daughter, who was at the, my youngest daughter, who was at the time I believe 12, 13 years old, comes to me and says, Dad, at the bus stop, and they had, these, they had tour buses that took our kids to school in England. I mean, it was crazy. But they had tour buses that looked like they were going to go off to Paris or something. But they get on this tour bus, and, he goes, at the, and my daughter goes, at, at the bus stop, they're selling drugs. And what kind of drugs? I don't know, but they're selling drugs. On base. Who would think that at a military installation they would be selling drugs? So I tell my commander, and my commander calls the security. I said, I, I, I don't know what kind of drugs. I don't know what they're doing. I'm telling you so you can do something about it. Okay. You know, I didn't go and invest. I, you want me to go down there and buy some? You know, what do you want me to do? <laughs> go send a young kid to go buy some, figure out who's selling it. 
but these are the issues that our children are facing today. A, a, a big issue for me growing up was smoking a cigarette, chewing tobacco. Who? I've sinned against God. I smoked a cigarette. But that's how I felt back then. But now the, the temptations that our children face and the peer pressure that they face compared to what I face is tremendous. It's crazy. In my, in my, from my generation, from what I see, where I was at to where my children are, it, it's crazy. And that's why we need to pray. As fathers and mothers combined, we need to pray for our children. Because once they leave our home, they go out into the world. And they have the world to contend with. So a godly father continues to pray for his family, for his children, for his wife. Uh, a godly father prays. So I'm going to close, and I'm going to close and kind of recap on what, what we talked about today. But godly, godly fathers, thank you. You're all godly fathers if you're here because you're here. You're hearing the word of God. That makes you godly. Now, you may have not achieved or arrived at perfection. Neither have I. Neither has Pastor Joe. We're not perfect. We're, we're, we're striving. We're striving to become like Christ. But a godly father loves God first and loves his wife as Christ loves the church and loves his children as God intends them to. And he, he corrects and love, corrects and teaches disciplines in love, not in anger. And a godly father constantly prays because prayer is so important. What happens when we bring prayer into the equation? What happens? When we do not neglect prayer. I believe God sends out angels to take care of our children, angels to direct, to guide, the Holy Spirit to convict, the Holy Spirit to get their attention. That's why it's so important to pray. So with that, I'll go ahead and close. Uh, before I close, Pastor, are you going to do a song? or what? Yeah. Okay, before I close, I just want to ask if there's anyone uh, here that does not know Christ, has not made that decision in their heart to receive Christ, to become a Christian. See, it's very simple. To become a Christian simply means that you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has the ability to forgive you from your sins, which sets you on a path into eternal life. That's, that, that's what Christianity is. If you have not done that, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, you, we can do that now, or you can come and see Pastor Joe after service. Come and see me, Elder Steve, Elder Cecito. Any one of us, and we'll pray with you. But that's the most important thing you'll do in your life, is to accept Jesus in your heart. Because nothing gets correct, nothing gets put in order. So with that, I'll close, and then I'll turn it over to Pastor Joe. Father, I thank you, and I pray that you would bless every father in this building, and that they may become uh, the image and the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.